the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. A serious subject matter, very important. The Holocaust is a subject we have not covered yet. A very important subject and a very important man in a book who is a, a witness of the Holocaust. And it's his testimony, a boy from Bushtina, a son, a survivor, a witness, Andrew Burian. He actually joins us along with his son, Lawrence, and his wife, Ruth. So we have an important subject matter to share with you. Now, first, our sponsors. With over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com and by Vocal Booth to Go, which carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands. Founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to, we use the Hamilton Stage Rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And by Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make your sound, you sound the best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And now our guest, uh, Andrew Burian, of course, the uh, the author of the book who joins us, and his son Lawrence and his wife Ruth, a boy from Bushtina, a son, a survivor, a witness. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's uh, it's Lawrence. It's a real privilege to be here um, and uh, to be someone who's uh, accompanied by my parents is particularly special. Well, that's what I gather from reading your book is that the kind of impact that family and tradition plays, especially through the atrocity, the atrocity of, of the Holocaust. There's something special about this bonding that has gone on through all this I want you to share. And uh, it's, a, it's not for the faint at heart, this book, you know, because it's an area when you mention an atrocity, um, it, it just cuts right to the, the darkest fabric of, of the human you know, being. Uh, at the same time, it's about overcoming and uh, and about family. And so, where where would you like to start? Well, perhaps it makes sense for me to tell uh, your listeners a bit about the book and picking up on on the comment you made. Um, I think one of the things that makes this book so special is that the way my dad tells it is really from the vantage point of somebody a who who, who lived it, but really as a witness, he is conveying to the reader simply what happened. There's no agenda in the book. There is not the kind of woe is me or trying to make sweeping generalizations. He, he tells the story in a very uh, straightforward way. And I think that's part of its power because it almost sneaks up on you. I know you read the book and mm-hmm. you had the same experience 
Um, also talking about the messages that come from the book, this is very much a, a, a book that talks to family and faith and uh, what it means to lose your childhood innocence, what it means to survive the good in mankind and the evil in mankind. It really uh, tells both sides of the story based on my dad's own personal experience and then the ability to, to rebuild and to have a rebirth and to maintain the values of childhood, of, of faith and family. Yes. So there's a lot here. Yes, and Ruth, um, you join us as well. Of course, you're uh, Andrew's wife. And uh, what was your feeling in, in going through some of the uh, the memories and, and putting the book together? Well, um, when I met my husband, I was 19 years old, and he's almost 10 years older than me. And I knew very little about the Holocaust. My childhood was a typically American childhood uh, I lived in Brooklyn. We rooted for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and, <laughs> and I, I, and uh, people warned me, and they said, "Are you sure you want to marry him? Look at his different background." I said, "Oh, you know, I was madly in love with him. He was very handsome, and very kind. Still is. He still is." <laughs> and I just brushed it aside. But as time went on, and he would gradually share uh, some of his experiences. And uh, there were moments that were very, very dark. For example, he once saw a woman on the train, and he thought it was his mother, hmm. and started to look, chase after her to run it. And um, uh, so that was terribly emotional. And um, there were things in our uh, 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 in our um, lives that I didn't understand when I was younger, when we would walk into a restaurant, he would sit with his back to the wall and kind of look around, and um, uh, when we went into an elevator, he'd put his hands out and push us to the back. Uh, but one thing I will say is that as the years went on, the Holocaust became a part of me, hmm. and I cannot tell you how I have suffered in my emotional well-being for what has happened. It's beastly, it's horrible, mm. it's inexplicable, and um, I'm very, very proud of my husband, even though it was a very difficult time for years in understanding this. I, I am proud of his uh, uh, rising to raise a family, to be an excellent father and an excellent husband, and that's what I have to say for now. Yes. Well, I want to say that there are a lot of people who take an interest in the subject of the Holocaust. I mean, this touches people because it's about the human being. It's about the human fabric, the human condition. And so uh, are you surprised just how many people are interested in the subject? And at the same time, I want to say it's horrible that there are many people who are in denial of it, which you hear about, even people running for public office, and we won't get too much into that, but uh, there are many, many people who this affects that. How can this ever happen to a human being, uh, to a, a, a Jew? Look, I, I think, first of all, the, the, it, the response to the book has been overwhelming, and it does, and, and I'm pleased to say that people are taking from the book what I, I know my dad, who wrote it, and, and myself, who worked on bringing it to, to publication. It's what we hoped for in terms of people are taking uh, good and, and right messages from it. It is horribly disturbing to know that there are people 
who are willing to, to deny something that so plainly occurred on such a mass scale not very long ago. And hopefully books like these and, 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 and the efforts, frankly, that, that the platform you're giving uh, to this subject will help combat yes. uh, those who are you know, trying to deny the undeniable. Absolutely. And what is it about the human condition about overcoming? Uh, I, you know, and feel free to talk on, on either behalf of uh, Andrew or, or Ruth. You can join in. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of overcoming. I mean, uh, you know, you've all lived uh, very, very successful lives. We want to talk about that a little bit later as far as just, uh, you know, where you've uh, risen from. And uh, how are you not affected by it? Well, are you always affected by it? Is it you, even with with six? Yeah, I think we are very much affected by it. I, I think that well, I know uh, my mom spoke a bit about how it affected her, and she can add to that. Uh, I know my siblings and I are very much affected by it. My children are affected by it. I don't, I don't think you can grow up in a home of a Holocaust survivor and not be affected by it. But at the same time. Some of those effects give us, I think, great strength and and spirit and a commitment both to our faith um, and to our community and to our family and yes. to push because we feel like my father was fortunate to survive and that we have a responsibility to make something of that and to uh, I think the the sheer raising of uh, religiously committed identified loving family, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, is itself a victory over what the Nazis tried to perpetrate. Yes. And I think we're very, I, I know I'm very conscious of that. Mom, how do you feel? Well, Michael, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't see something that gives me a jolt. It could be a little girl in a dress with a star on it, and um, it could be a, a, a freight train, and it just... My, the way I think, it just affects me. And I have to say that it is a miracle, mm. a miracle that my husband has overcome. I don't, I don't believe that I could be or do what he was able to do. And, um, as far as the children growing up, I must tell you something positive as well. The, besides all the horror that, uh, has seeped into their, soul and into their bodies. Um, I would have to say that my children grew up feeling very well protected. They knew that there wasn't anything that their father wouldn't do for his, his children and that they were, that they always felt safe. And, um, I would also say that, um, I'm very proud of my children because they are continuing the legacy. Look, I, I think part of it, we felt like we could do anything. You know, if my dad could do what he did, you know, anything was possible. You read about this and about the destruction and about uh, taking away family. That's something that uh, Andrew mentions uh, throughout the book, just how they try to destroy families by separating and all that. And so, uh, it, it, which is even more remarkable that, you know, the strength that you have in your family or in your families, I should say, you know, because of siblings and so forth, how how powerful a family can be. And, uh, and the rebuilding part of it. I think of the, uh, in the book of Job and the Hebrew scriptures that, uh, everything that was taken away from him and was, was given back threefold. And that's the, the kind of life you experienced, uh, Andrew and, and your whole family. 
Yeah, and you know, the, and that's such an interesting dynamic at the end of Job, right? Because what does it really mean? How do you ever replace a a human being or a loved one that's lost? Hmm. Um, so I think that 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 loss is always there, but but thank God there's also been great uh, success. And I, and I would say on a on a national level. Um, certainly for the Jewish people, I would say that the modern state of Israel is is a national rebirth um, in a way that's that's really magical um, and uh, miraculous. So I, I think there's been a national rebirth, yes. and I think there's been a, a flourishing of <clears throat> of the survivor community and what they've managed to build and rebuild uh, in, in their own private lives. I'd like to know the dynamic that takes place, I mean, as a child, uh, you know, this has been told uh, really through the eyes of a child in, in many parts of the book, you know, from Andrew, and how the normal reaction of a child being uh, wide-eyed and innocent and all of a sudden uh, seeing atrocities and things that are very contrary to the instinct of, of a child, you know, that uh, uh, people are supposed to take care of children and love children. And, and so how does that affect, uh, how did that affect your development uh, that you know of either, you know, Andrew can answer, or you could answer for Andrew. Uh, how, did, how did that make you grow up? To yeah, I, I um, <clears throat> I, I think that to my parents' credit, I think they were very wise in how they communicated this to their children. First of all, as my mom said, <clears throat> to me, I had my siblings and I had a, a a parents that were were mixed. My mom did not have uh didn't have the Holocaust background, and quite the opposite. <clears throat> Excuse me had a beautiful childhood and a very uh, enriching uh, childhood growing up in Brooklyn. So that was some balance. And I would say that my father was very sensitive to age-appropriate sharing of information. Hmm. So that as a child, most of the stories I heard from my father were the types of stories that anybody would hear about their father's childhood and about his uh, playing hooky from school and is uh, going to going to walking to school in the snow both ways uphill and you know and all, all the all the types of things that we all get from our, our parents and I, I think it was really wise in how over time the information came out um, and and my dad also and this is not unusual for the survivor community um, no different from trauma victims in general who could go years without really speaking or reliving the trauma. You, you need to have a position of great uh, strength and, and self-confidence and stability to be able to relive these kinds of events. And I think it's really in the later years where my dad has been able to realize the fruits of his labor mm. and, and was able to get some distance and be able to share more information which is really why the book's coming out when it when it when it when it did, which was when my father was ready to be able to really turn to it in earnest. So um, they were really masterful at it, and I'm deeply appreciative to my parents for that. Yeah, and it's just um, you know on the surface, I should say, but in holding the book, I mean, why don't they make more books like this? <laughs> you know, it's it's a heavy, it's such a well developed book, you know, with the pictures, and there's it's just it's a good. Uh, a lot of people ought to get this book. There's the title, of course, A Boy from Bushtina, A Son, A Survivor, A Witness. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what Bushtina was like? Yeah, I, I can. Let, let me just 
make one comment, if I may, because you mentioned why there aren't more books like this. I think one of the things that makes this book very special, because there, there are Holocaust memoirs, um, but what makes this book, I think, stand out is that my father, on the one hand, was old enough to have clear experiences and memories because the the story for him starts at 13. So mm-hmm. he's old enough and he grew up really fast, but young enough to have the skills, the English skills and the stamina to be able to write the way he did and to be able to write it so beautifully. Mm-hmm. So, so many, many of these types of books either suffer from one end or the other where the, the, either the person's memories aren't clear or, or the writing just isn't accessible to a wide audience. And, and this really has, has both. Um, to your question about Bushtina, uh, another aspect of the book, which I think parallels the way my dad re- conveyed the story to his own children, which is, which was the genesis of this book, was that he really does start with the pre-war life and describes this idyllic childhood in this town nestled in the Carpathian Mountains, which is today uh, the Ukraine, but then was uh, part of Czechoslovakia. And he describes life. And uh, I think any reader can relate to this beautiful life that he had. And as you get these descriptions and you understand what normal was, you can have a better appreciation, the reader can, for what was lost um, and what was destroyed. Yes. Um, Bushtana was a very small town. It was that the main industry was lumber, timber from the from the surrounding mountainside. Uh, my father's grandparents on one side were in the lumber and timber business. Uh, the other grandparents were um, in the uh, were the general goods uh, sort of uh, town uh, trading store. My father grew up. Uh, his family lineage went back some 300 years. Uh, in that in that community, if I recall correctly, that is it 300 years or 600? It's in the 300. book. 300 years. Um, it was a community that was mixed uh, Jewish and, and, and non-Jewish. The Jewish community was not what you would picture when you when if you've read or studied about sort of the, the Jewish shtetl in Eastern Europe. It was. It was a more modern Jewish community in, in terms of its religiosity. It was Orthodox, but my father's father, for example, did not wear a beard, where in some communities in Poland that would have been sacrilegious. Um, his uh, father was a businessman. He had gone in with his, uh, with his uh, uh, grandfather into the uh, lumber business. And, the, you know, life surrounded around family and Jewish holidays and the synagogue and school. And, and there are some wonderful pictures from pre-war that were able to be salvaged from, from those days in the book. But really a, a very beautiful life. You know, when you look at today's culture, and I'm talking about, you know, forgive me, the iPhone or social media and what have you. And everyone is doing their own thing. And when you think about the power of family and sticking together, and, and as you said, the communication that took place from your father, Andrew, and communicating, and Ruth, to to everyone, uh, just what that builds out of a person. It says in the back, this is for Andrew's dad talking to him. It says, my child, I have three things to say to you. Keep yourself clean so you don't get sick. Be a mensch. 
and don't let them make an animal out of you. And remember, whoever lives through this inferno goes home and waits for the others. God willing, we will all meet at home. And Andrew certainly did live by by those words uh, because, you know, through the atrocity, I don't see, there was a link you shared with me and our listeners should know that uh, that Andrew, your dad, your father, spoke at the 2014 convocation at Liberty University, and just so touching. I was I was listening and watching uh, with my wife, and it was very difficult for her, very difficult to hear because you know. And um, but what that does uh, through these terrible, dark uh, stories uh, that are true stories. Um, they they bring us closer. They bring us closer as human beings, uh, closer to God and family. And uh, they uh, tell me what else they do because I know they make you count your blessings. That's for sure. Look, I, I think that <clears throat> there's a. I think you said it very well, which is I don't I don't know how one could read this book and not when they put it down at night turn to their, their loved one, their, whether it be their spouse or significant other, uh, their child, and give a very special hug and kiss. Um, because, And I think it gives you a bit of perspective on what's important in life. I think it gives perspective on the importance of being vigilant against uh, evil, that there is evil in the world. Uh, and yes. that people of conscience and, and need to uh, be vig- vigilant. I think it, it gives you a sense of the miraculous and what it means to have the will to live and what what a human being can accomplish with that will. I think all those messages come out. Um, and also, by the way, some stories about the kindness of strangers in the face of tremendous uh, risk. So I, I, and so there are inspiring messages. I think anybody who's going through a period of difficulty or loss uh, could read a book like this and come away and feel uh, the value of faith and family and perseverance. Michael? Yes. I totally agree with everything that Lawrence has said, but I must also say, truthfully, for me, I can never get over the barbarity and the beastliness Mm. of of what human beings can do. It's just not understandable to me. There's no rhyme or reason for it. It wasn't because they were, since people were fighting for land or, 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 uh, political power. It's, it's, there's just no understanding in my heart and in my soul for how this could have happened. And I will say that if we could take anything positive from that, my children do care about humanity, about other people, and what awful things are happening even today. Um, uh, and we all have a sense of of uh, a need for things to be better for people. And uh, this also comes for the inexplicable suffering that took place then. And it breeds not only bitterness, but also compassion. Yes. And uh, Andrew, in the book, your dad uh, does a masterful job of, of showing just what the evil that is, is present with the Nazis and uh, the evil and, and what they try to do to the human spirit and the human soul. And, uh, and that's really where... 
you know, and I, I think of I think of the Hebrew scriptures. I think of how uh, the Jewish people had overcome so much, and that they were oppressed, and and that God was always there. I know it's something that's mentioned in Jewish. Um, oh, forgive me, I'll think of it. Okay, but it's it's something that even if God did nothing else, we would praise Him. And I'm trying yes. to think. Yes, that's from uh, the Passover Seder. Yes. We- we list each of the steps of redemption, and we say even if God had stopped at step one, we would still say that's enough for us to give praise. And they say Dianu. Dianu, exactly. Dianu, you know, because it's the grace of God uh, being present. And uh, how how has this affected your faith? I mean, all as a family, as far as as you read uh, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures and, and think about even how this is a... Um, uh, microcosm and many uh, of the sense uh, of the kind of uh, I will say satanic or evil that uh, was present in the scriptures and how uh, how God uh, uh, was was present with the Jewish people though always present and uh, always blessing and protecting. I'll I'll speak first. I have no doubt my uh, my mother uh, will have what to add, but she she asked me to speak first, so I'm okay. not being, uh, <laughs> I'm not being insolent or no. Uh, <laughs> it's I'm okay. actually following my mother's instructions. <laughs> um, so just so your audience knows. <laughs> Otherwise, it come off kind of rude. No. Uh, I, I would say, I would say, look, I, we are religious people. We are Orthodox observant uh, Jews. Uh, so we're 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 deeply um, engaged in uh, religion and spirituality. I, that having been said. Uh, I don't think anyone can fault anyone, uh, certainly not a survivor of the Holocaust, for having severe questions about God and the abandonment or perceived abandonment of, of the Jewish people. And frankly, um, you know, World War II was not only a, a Jewish tragedy. The Holocaust was uniquely Jewish, but, you know, something like 20 million Russians and no, it was just the, the amount of carnage and destruction. I, I think it, it, it certainly challenges anybody's belief. I don't know how it can't. And, and, and I think if so, I, I think part of being a religious person is understanding that there are questions that we will never be able to answer. Um, certainly, the fact that my father um, returned uh, after the war to an observant lifestyle, I think is extraordinary. Not everyone in his family did, and we have wonderful relations with them and respect them. I would say something that my father once said that has stuck with me, somebody once asked him, how could you possibly still be religious in the in the face of, of this? How can you still observe yes. the Sabbath or keep kosher or... And he gave an answer, Dad, I don't know if you recall this, but um, I did. My dad said, there are people who are religious or observant, right? I'm using those terms, they're not the same, but are observant in, in any faith out of fear, maybe a fear of going to hell. Um, and my father said, you know, I've been to hell, so I'm not that afraid of it. I've been there. Um I, I don't. I'm not religious out of a sense of fear. I'm a. Re, I, I'm observant and I'm religious and I maintain this way of life because it's the best way to live. Mm. And I think it comes full circle to where you started about the values 
of our religion and, and really, I think, any of the major religions around doing what's right, being good, having uh, commitment to family and to values. And as my father put it, that's the best way to live. It's the only way to survive, and or he said in the in the book, without becoming what the world can. I mean, just the world we're living in today, and uh, you know what it can make. It can make an animal of us. Period. I mean, if you you know, you have to have an ethic. You have to have something special. You have to be close with with family and have a foundation, or it, the world can make something evil of us. But the, the the having the image of his father and the instructions of his father. And not wanting to let his father down and having those principles to live by are what allowed him to survive. You know, there's a, there's a famous, um, I don't know if your audience knows the term midrash, which is sort of the oral tradition that's passed down and, and, uh, that goes along with the, the Old Testament that, you know, the, the Torah. Mm-hmm talks about how when Joseph was being challenged in the house of Potiphar, so if you if you recall after he was sold into slavery, he was ultimately sold to a home of a, of a minister in the in the then Egyptian government named Potiphar, and, and Joseph rose to great prominence and became the head of the household, only to have Potiphar's wife try to seduce Joseph. That's right. And uh, there's a famous scene where Joseph flees from uh, almost committing sin, and he leaves his tunic behind, his multicolored robe, and that's how he winds up in jail. But the but the midrash says, what made Joseph flee? And the midrash says, an image of his father Jacob popped into his head, and he couldn't go through with the sin with 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 the wife of Potiphar. Hmm. The values that he had learned and was now separated in Egypt, uh, away from his family, away from his community, on his own, all of a sudden that image of his father's expectations is what is what um, protected him. And certainly I'm, 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 I'm the next in that chain. And yes. I'm privileged to have the parents here who, uh, who teach me those values. And I think that's part of what a faith community does is pass down values from one generation to the next. Yes, and you've been a wonderful ambassador of this story of your father and your mother and the, the whole story. A boy from Bushtina, a son, a survivor, a witness. We've been talking with uh, Lawrence and along with his father, Andrew, and Ruth, his wife. And we're going to continue in just a moment. Our sponsor, however, Great Audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interface effects pedals and more we're zoom and we're for creators and uh, just on a side note they're they're from long island uh, close, close by you lawrence <laughs> yes so uh so let us continue i think again i want to i want to turn to the book of job and the reason i want to is because it was very similar where his um his wife couldn't understand why he had Still, he wanted to praise God, that God is good. And he said that, uh, you know, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return, and that my Redeemer lives. That he, he believes that, in, in short, that one day that God would put down all sin and unrighteousness and evil, and uh, there would be a new, if you will, a new heaven, a new earth. And uh, and he says, my Redeemer, my Messiah lives. And, and without the hope of a messiah without the hope 
um, we would be left with with hatred in our hearts. But one day, you know, because we know that God is good, that He will um, start all over again and uh, a new Jerusalem, if you will. Look, it's it's the it's the universal dream and and faith of of I think all the major religions is a time of redemption um, and a time where this kind of uh, inhumanity uh, and 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 bloodshed is 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 not seen anymore. Uh, all we can do in, in our lives is do our best to to, uh, to live the, the values and and hope that that the divine takes care of what the divine is supposed to take care of. And uh, Ruth, what's it like being uh, the mom here? And uh, what kind of sensitivity, given the fact that you know the story of the Holocaust has always lived and that story of course to, to be told throughout generations uh what do you how sensitive do you have to be as a as a mom and and preparing your kids to be strong i was very sensitive towards it um in fact i overthought that children were growing up in an american home without being particularly affected by the Holocaust. And of course, I was wrong about that. And I'm grateful that I was wrong because I feel so proud that they are carrying through the legacy and continuing. Uh, I'll give you a kind of funny example of some interaction between Andy and I. Andy spoke everywhere about the Holocaust at some point in his life. He began to do that when he got older. And one time he was speaking at the local public school to younger children. And I became very fearful that he would oversay uh, some of the really bad parts and that the children were too young to absorb that. So um, uh, I spoke to Andy and I uh, uh, convinced him that he had to be very, very sensitive because these are much younger children than he would normally be speaking to. Well, you know, after a guest speaks, what happens next? Uh, the speaker goes home, and a few days later, you get a pile of letters from the students that the teacher makes them write. Dear Mr. Burian, how much we appreciate your coming to speak to us. Every single letter said the same thing. We're so sorry that your dog died. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they, identified, they identified with the story about his, about his pets. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> but, but, he, but he made it age-appropriate. <laughs> he made it very Some of the pets. things that we interacted about is uh, Andy always spoke what he from his heart and what happened but where I was very influential is having heard many Holocaust speakers I said that you have to speak from a prepared text that you can't just wander off here and there and elsewhere and lose your audience and um, uh, Andy was very strict about it after we talked about it and he always had a text and a preparation and an idea and knew what he wanted to say and um, it had a very strong impact. It really did. Uh, well, it was able to maximize the message and the by being by being precise. You know, um, if it's okay, Michael, for me to share with you. Sure. Um, one of the things that I think is powerful about the book and what made it hard to limit himself to uh, whatever amount of time my dad had to speak. Um, and you'll see it in the Liberty University video where he spoke for an hour. Yes. Uh, arena with uh, 13,000 students and you could hear a pin drop. And there he was editing and editing because 
there's so much to be said, and you need to be able to to put it into something that people can digest. In, in this book, um, it, where it tells my dad's story, um, my father really lived pretty much every aspect of the concentration camp experience, mm. from being forcibly evicted at gunpoint from his home to being put into cattle cars to uh, the ghetto in uh, in Hungary to then being shipped by a uh, cattle car to the infamous Auschwitz-Birkenau, to surviving as one of the youngest survivors um, to, to, to come out of Auschwitz-Birkenau for eight months in Auschwitz-Birkenau, in, in the death camp portion of Birkenau, not in the labor camp of Auschwitz, to then be uh, uh, death-marched um, for days um, in the freezing winter of 1945 um, to experience the, the, the death marches and to be able to tell what that experience was, to then be loaded again onto cattle cars and uh, mm. transported uh, all the way across Europe to Austria and to be interred in the uh, unbelievably horrific Mattis, uh, uh, Matthausen death camp in Austria, to then go through another death march, to ultimately be placed in another concentration camp in Gunskirchen, Austria, uh, and then to finally and ultimately be liberated mm-hmm. by the U.S. Army. And something that is uh, even special about that is the first soldiers that appeared in Gunskirchen were actually African-American soldiers. Really? Um, and that's quite extraordinary. And when my dad first gave a, a testimony of his experiences to the Spielberg Foundation and has been recording Holocaust, the Steven Spielberg Holocaust testimonies, uh, researchers said that's not possible. Um, there were no African-American units uh, in that area. And because of my dad's insistence, um, a, a research project was conducted. And ultimately, it was discovered that, well, no, no surprise, that there was, in fact, a unit um, with certain scouts that had um, uh, come to the camp before the rest of the army had come. And they that unit and, and that, that group of African-American soldiers had never been given any acknowledgement for their role wow. in, in liberating. And because of my dad's testimony in this research, they were then honored. Um, and then to describe the experience of uh, American DP camp, and then being turned over to uh, the Red Army, uh, and then, you know, at the ripe age of 14, on his own, mind you, and then working his way through war-torn Europe uh, and trying to rediscover his family, um, the, the miraculous story of his reuniting with, with his father and his brother. His, his mother was unfortunately killed in the gas chambers of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And then coming to America at 17 by himself, without a word of spoken English, uh, with $10 in his pocket, uh, to then be interred in Ellis Island for having uh, the wrong, not being able to clear medical. Uh, I mean, the story is just staggering. It is. And, and monumental as you go through it. Um, and I'm just trying to give us, for your audience, a scope 
of the breadth of this of this story. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the adjectives that are used in this book. I mean, how if you don't have an imagination, you'll you'll develop one soon if, by reading the bo- a boy from Bushtina because uh, it really is is quite graphic and you know I mean. Uh, boy, they sugarcoat things on, on just regular TV shows, and this is this is real. This is real stuff. Um, what is it? You know, I'm wondering because of the 2014 convocation of Liberty University, uh, and you mentioned uh, Andrew mentions your dad that uh, you know I'm a witness, I'm a survivor, and this is my testimony. What, what does it mean to you to be a survivor when you think about a witness and a survivor? How would you sum that up in in a short sentence or two? I know it's hard to do that in a short sentence. I think that to survive is a, is complex. It's at one level, it's a level of luck in the sense that they didn't pluck you and just annihilate you, and there was be no way to protect yourself from that. Secondly, uh, Andy was very conscious of details, and uh, he would notice things in the book. You remember, I hope the part where. Um, he, they bring in a garbage can full of slop, which was supposed to be food, and he heard the guards say, don't bother, they don't need it anymore. And he's 13 years old, and he steps up, and he holds on to the garbage can and walks out with the people who brought it in, because he understood what it meant. So, yes, he was, uh, he paid attention to detail, and he was very smart, but I also think there's an element of God and faith, and we don't know the whole picture, we don't understand everything, but for whatever reason, it was intended that he survived, it was intended that I met him, which is the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. Amen. My husband, and that uh, we have a family, and... Um, I, I just feel that that the faith in God, that I understand that uh, so many died that you can't say um, that you can't say that you can't be uh, uh, you can't say God chose him. I don't say oh, that. Can, can I interrupt yes. for a moment? I think this, I, I think to, to, to Michael's specific question about just to sum up what it means to be a survivor. I, I think. I mean, I think, Mom, you captured all the complexity of, of you know, was it by his wits? Was it by luck? Was it by divine intervention? I, I think for my father and for us, I think to survive is also to have responsibility. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the term survivor is a little bit too passive in some ways. Um, it certainly wasn't passive, but that's why I think my dad adds on a witness. A witness has a responsibility to tell the story and to tell the lessons of the story. So I think the survivor coupled with the witness is uh, is the, the um, it's the redemption and there's the responsibility. I'm wondering how, if you will, anti-Semitism, okay, because really that's what the, the, the horror of it uh, and how it bred evil in the Nazi concentration camps and, uh, of course, the Holocaust – uh, but how does that build an ethic, if you will? How does that build a foundation in dealing with later, after going through something like that and witnessing all that, uh, the anti-Semitism that we still find today in our society? What, how do we how do we learn to deal with that better, uh, having gone through something like that? How do you combat it? How do you face it? How do you? I know that you know, if you will, just interject that community, a uh, Jewish community, is very important because of that. Look, I, I think that 
anti-Semitism is real. Um, we could probably spend an entire uh, session talking about the, the, the causes and, and, and reasons for anti-Semitism, rational and irrational. Um, and the so it's a reality, and it's and it's an evil that's been around uh, since there have been the Jewish people. Um, almost, you know, this might sound counterintuitive. To me, almost the irrational history of anti-Semitism is almost a proof of the divine uh, of the of a, of a divine plan. That's that's a mm. loaded statement, but yes. But I I think that when you when you go back and you look going back to the Passover story and every generation somebody rises to try to destroy the Jewish people and yet uh, through the millennia here we are uh, uh, living and and maintaining the values um, and the commitments of of, of our ancient people it, it, that itself is an extraordinary and miraculous story. Yes, um, I think that knowing firsthand what my father experienced and what a normal life he had before and integrated into society and friends with the community and his parents involved in business and life and 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 civics um i think that to me at least it tells me that we cannot take our democracy and our civil liberties and our values for granted because Nazi Germany, Germany pre-Nazi, first of all, Hitler was elected. Uh, the Anschluss to Austria was an election, was voted in. Um, the people standing in the streets and cheering weren't forced to be standing and cheering. So I think a society has the ability to turn and, you know, the Jews in, in Spain didn't think they'd ever be expelled, you know, expelled and, you know, you can go back through generation after generation. So my, my point is um, we have – I have tremendous appreciation and um, value for, for what this country, the United States of America, provides and what it stands for. But I also don't take it for granted as if it's a permanent fixture. It's only as strong as the commitment of the people to maintain – its values, but also the witness, the the witness of the Jewish community that you know we stick together. You know what I'm saying? And you have to stick together. And say, I think that's important. I think that is showing uh, great strength because there's certain things when you talk about the Holocaust, when you talk about Nazis and, and atrocities and so forth. No, no other people can understand that. And but I think I think Michael that you know the Jewish community and certainly the way I've been raised ha- have been. Yes, the importance of community, and yes, the importance of, of commitment to, to that. But I think there is a also a commitment to universal um, sense of right and wrong and justice and humanitarian. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, I don't think that somebody who's grown up in a home of a survivor like myself can look at atrocities or um, or, or tragedy uh elsewhere in the world and responsibly say, well, I only need to protect my own. I, I think that certainly the Jewish organizations that I'm a part of and that we that we uh, are proud of are very involved in philanthropy, uh, certainly within but also without uh, outside of the Jewish community. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's people of faith like yourself and your listeners who are, um, who are just as responsible or more responsible uh, for preserving the values that that we're talking about. 
Yes, and Andrew, your father, who wrote the book, of course, uh, he talks, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. Uh, it is all in raw and real and visceral, and which makes the, the book so great, uh, as far as to really understand he takes you there. And, uh, but he says, as a young child, he says, I began to associate the word anti-Semitism, which I heard everywhere around me, with a baseless hatred and the terrible curses hurled at me and my Jewish friends in school by the urchins of the colonizers and with increasing frequency by the Ruthenian children who emulated them, their curses and epithets, as well as uh, being spat at, kept reverberating in my mind long after school and inflicted my soul and disrupted my equilibrium. I began to understand the meaning of anti-Semitism and its intention. I began to understand and feel the pain of the anti-Semitic acts that everyone was talking about, acts that were perpetrated on us every day. My parents were unable to quell the fear in me, especially since it was the dominant topic of everyone's conversation. There was just no way a child could be shielded from it. I often inquired of my parents and grandparents whether we would be harmed. Their reassurances, to the contrary, did not much did not do much to quell my fears. I mean, it's that type of uh, vulnerability uh, that made you into you know the man you are, and dealing with. Uh, with life, with the uh, the whole gamut of the of the human condition and human emotions, uh, Andrew. Michael, Michael. Yes. You use the word sugarcoat, and I'm going to say if you raise the topic of anti-Semitism, I feel very vulnerable and very concerned right now, and I'll tell you why. I think for the past fifty or sixty years, because of the Holocaust. It wasn't okay to talk about or to say out loud bad things about Jews. But the time has passed, and uh, and in every generation, as Lawrence said, a different form of anti-Semitism appears. And I believe that the incessant hatred of Israel is just the modern form of anti-Semitism. Yes. I believe that. And... Um, I have to say that when I see uh, people of faith who support Israel, I, it, it emotionally lifts me because uh, uh, every country, of course, does wrong things or, or has policies you don't agree with, but the virulent hatred of Israel is not normal. It's not. No. I think it's the new form of anti-Semitism. And I have to say that when I go to Israel... And I see Christian uh, missions and and leaders uh, coming and supporting and loving Israel. It just raises my hope and my faith, and I'm very appreciative for the to the Christian community for this. Yes, and what you just said very important. I know that, and from what I understand, that the hope of every Jew is is a Messiah. Is that correct? Excuse me. That, that, yes. That, yes. Yes. That the hope the hope of the Jew is. You know, according to the Hebrew Scriptures, is is the Messiah that a Messiah would come to put down once for all all sin and unrighteousness and evil that is present, and that that unnatural evil that you talked about, that satanic evil that you talked about, that that it is unnatural, and it's not of God. It's it's it perverts the goodness of of humanity. And so, if I may, that connectivity that you mentioned with the you know with Christians as well, and they believe that you know that through the Jew. 
comes, you know, through the lineage comes the Messiah, that there, there is salvation, that a new heaven, a new earth is it, because uh, it comes through the faith of, of Abraham, uh, that, that covenant, that promise, that chesed. And that's why there, and the Christians certainly believe, I'm sure the Jews, uh, Jewish people do as well, that's why there's such hatred of, of the Jew, is because through them comes the Savior, the one who, the Messiah, who there will be no more evil in the world. It is wiped away. And so that is that common thread, I believe, that, that you're feeling when uh, people come to, to Israel. And, and that's why they're, they're so grateful for the, uh, for the Jewish people. Michael, are you aware that uh, many Jews, as they went to their deaths, said the following, Ani ma'ami shlema ha-mashiach. And that means, I believe with my full heart that our redemption will come with the coming of the Messiah. They went to their deaths saying hmm. that. I will also add that one of the beautiful things about um, the Jewish vision of the messianic times uh, very clearly is not a vision that the whole world will become Jewish. Um, the vision is a world at peace, a world recognizing a single God. Um, and I think that um, it's, it's, I think it's a very beautiful part of, of our belief. Um, and yes. that, and, and therefore it's, there's no there's no rivalry or competition to it. It's simply a recognition in the world of, of uh, that it's that there's a divine um, and that there's truth and that there's and that there is you know and like you said where there's where evil is is, is defeated. Is there anything in particular? I mean, in is there anything? I'm sure there's plenty. But in reading the book, that you know, Ruth, you could answer first, and then Lawrence, um, because uh, Mama goes first, you know. <laughs> so, but is there is there anything like that stands out in your mind that you, in reading this book and going over the book, that you you were affected by and got to know your husband better, and of course, Lawrence, that in reading that you got to know a side of your dad that perhaps you never knew before. Well, there was one incident that stays with me. He was on the death march, and a fellow Jew who was walking with him saw that this young boy uh, was not going to make it. He, he had lost his strength, his literal strength. And this man said to him, look ahead. Do you see the steeple ahead? All you have to do is make it to that steeple. And this... And by the way, the church steeple. A church steeple, of course, Europe had so many church steeples. And the way Andy made it through was going from steeple to steeple to steeple. And um, this lesson of going forward, gathering your strength from one to the other to the other, and, uh, uh, and with faith that you will make it in the end, if you could just get to this point and just get to that point, has stayed with me. Um, and I do think about that in my own life when I have to just get to one point or another. And I think it's a very uh, wonderful part of something that he was taught. And there are many other aspects in the book that will stay with me, of course, forever and ever. Um, his parting from his mother. I want to give a tribute at this point to his mother. My daughter is named for her. And uh, she made a family choice. When they were 
when uh, they were standing before uh, uh, Dr. Mangala. Mangala, I, I can't even say his name. Um, she could have gone with her sons and her husband and most likely would have lived. Well, well, she would have lived that day. She would have lived. We don't know. But on that day, she turned to her husband and said, uh, Mordechai, that was his name, you take the boys. I'm going to go with daddy. I'm going to go with my father. I cannot leave my father alone. And she was um, uh, exterminated on that day because Mm. all the old people never got to go in. But it was the sense of family and not abandoning her father that caused her to do that. And before we, before Lawrence answers that, I want to, I want to mention, um, do you get a, do you get a sense that there's something special about the Jew? I mean, certainly you cannot avoid that in reading the Hebrew scriptures and, and reading the Bible, that there's of course something special about the Jew, that they have the favor of God upon them. And despite the atrocities, and the evil in the world and to have the kind of family that you have and and you know you've been very humble about it but you're actually all very important people and uh if they only knew <laughs> as far as your place and position and people who know you and so forth but uh do you get that sense that uh, that you know that God was always watching over and and that uh, the blessings you've experienced uh is um is redemptive uh, Michael I'm going to take this I know you addressed it to my mom mm-hmm. I I um I I, I guess I'm I, and my mom is is making the same uh, comment to me. I I think there's a, a level of discomfort in 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 saying you know there's something special about the Jew, right? Um, there's I think there's certainly something historically uh, unique and special about the Jewish people and its history, and certainly. Um, uh, from a religious perspective, bringing monotheism to the world, and uh, and as I said before, the 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 um, the unique relationship we've had through the ages of suffering and survival and, and maintaining uh, our faith and, and, and our ways. I, but you know, I really I feel like um, there's special, something special about every human being that has a divine spark and soul. Um, and I think that there's, uh, you know, so I, I guess I, I, it's not a terminology that I that I'm as comfortable with. Um, I certainly think we have a purpose, um, and I think that uh, by living the values uh, of our Torah, we are uh, bringing uh, and trying to be positive examples of uh, of a way of life and, and values, but. You know, I, I don't think of it as something sort of inherent in my, in my skin and bones. But sure. I understand that. I'm going to pull out my Moses card. <laughs> and by pulling out my Moses card, I, I mean to say in, uh, you know, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Torah, that he gives a special blessing over the Jewish people, over the 12 tribes. And in that special blessing, he says, if you paraphrase, that uh, there would be great material possessions and wealth, and that would, if you will, even be a sign that you are my special people. So what I'm trying to say is within that, there's a redemptiveness, that there's redemption because of the suffering and and as a witness that the Jewish people throughout Scripture. And so that that is in their DNA if, if you pull out your Moses card. <laughs> so, well, anyhow, but I certainly understand what, you, what you're talking about. Um, so now the question as far as, you know, how... 
you know, you've known your dad uh, your whole life, obviously. He had a big impact on you. Uh, but in reading the book, are there signs about your dad that uh, you, know, you, you never knew before? Or, or um, what, what personally affected you and, and you getting to know him better through reading this book? And I want to say the title of the book, A Boy from Bushtina, A Son, A Survivor, A Witness. And I advise everyone to get it. Andrew, Andrew Burian. And they can get it where? Uh, it's available through Amazon, um, A Boy from Bustina, B-U-S-T-I-N-A. I will, I will note that every penny of the proceeds of this book go towards the mission of Holocaust uh, uh, education and remembrance. Uh, the book is published by Yad Vashem, which is the preeminent uh, Holocaust museum based in Jerusalem, uh, and neither my father nor any member of the family received a, a penny of proceeds from this book. Um, and in fact, uh, the family contributed the funds towards the, to the institution uh, to, uh, to pay for the publishing costs. Um, so that not, not, a, not a penny goes to us and, and every penny goes to, to the not-for-profit institution. Um, look, I, um, I, uh, I learned a lot from this book. It's hard to unscramble which stories were new to me and which stories um, I already knew because I had already been working with my dad on the book for quite some time in, in manuscript form. Um, I knew my dad to to be an incredibly observant person of, of detail and to be a lover of nature. I think when you read the book, the, the, the beauty and the descriptions of how he perceives the world around him uh, are very touching. I think that there are uh, there are some stories that my dad shares about his behavior uh, immediately in the aftermath of liberation and um, some actions he took, uh, almost like a band of, of, of survivors that um, he deeply regrets, but doesn't shy away from saying what he did and, and the reader can evaluate uh, them in, in context. And I thought that was a very brave uh, thing of my dad to share. Um, uh, there's a story, one in particular, which I had never heard until reading the book about um, a, a sexual molestation or attempted molestation, I should say, mm. in the barracks that I had never heard until I read uh, in the book. Um, there are, as my mom said, some of the things that stand out for her, there are a number of stories. Some of them are very small and, but are so powerful and they're with me. And I don't know if we have the time. Can I, can I share? One? Of course we do. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, my dad, as I, I mentioned, had, uh, was just 13 when Hungarian soldiers stormed into his parents' home and, uh, told them, um, that they had, you know, uh, I don't know how many minutes to uh, pack their belongings, one bag to a person, and 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 uh, forcibly marched at, at rifle and bayonet to the to the train station for deportation. This that that eviction from the home occurred just uh, months uh, after my father's bar mitzvah, turning 13. Hmm. And my dad always tells that he had three very special gifts that he received for his bar mitzvah. One was a fountain pen. Two was a pair of long pants because a boy wore knickers, but a man wore pants. That's right. 
And uh, and the third was a wristwatch. And the wristwatch he received was particularly special because his mother wore a wristwatch by the Swiss maker Tissot. They still make watches. And uh, my dad was given a, 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 a watch for his bar mitzvah, which was his most prized possession. It was a Tissot just like his mother's. And when these soldiers uh, stormed into the home, they laid a, uh, a tablecloth or a blanket down on the, uh, on the floor in the dining room and said, you know, put all your valuables here. And put, you know, so not only were they going to you know, deport them, they were going to rob them. And, um, you know, you can imagine the adults at gunpoint frantically uh, throwing into the blanket the, the silver uh, candelabra and the, uh, the mother's earrings and the what have you. And um, uh, as the family is being evicted from the home, as they're crossing the threshold of the door, the Hungarian gendarme looks down at my father and sees that my dad is wearing this watch. Hmm. And he rips the watch off of his wrist and tosses it into the pile at the blanket. (laughs) And my father describes uh, poignantly in the book and certainly uh, when we talk to him. And and as I tell you this, I feel the pain in real time, even though Mm. I've told the story before. um, That sense of loss of his identity, uh, the loss of his childhood at that moment the witnessing or experiencing the helplessness of adults, that the parents were powerless to do anything about it. And, of course, uh, horrible, horrible um, events would transpire uh, over the course of the ensuing two years of, of that, you know, where this pales in comparison. But, um, but the experience, that first moment of that loss of identity and mm. Yes. This one is coming of age. I will share one happy story um, that is a coda to this. When my when my oldest son turned thirteen, it was the same year that my father turned eighty three. Really. And in and um, actually in scripture, there's a there's a source for the notion that a lifetime or a generation, but a, a lifetime is seventy years. That's right. There are so- sources for that, and therefore some have the tradition that when you turn 83, you're having your second bar mitzvah because it's 70 (laughs) plus another 13. And um, at my son's bar mitzvah, in front of the entire family and community at at a a beautiful gala to to celebrate, I was able to give a speech and thank God for um, the, the redemption that my father had and remind him that at his bar mitzvah, he sat in fear with a yellow star sewed onto his his, 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 his school jacket. Wow. We are celebrating, and I was able to gift to my son and to my father new Tissot watches, hmm. um, which my father has not taken off of his wrist to this day. Amen. Um, and there's a picture, by the way, in the book of, uh, of my son's wrist with my father's wrist intertwined, uh, both wearing their new Tissot watches. I'm actually flipping through the book right now. I'd like to find that picture. What? Uh... If you go to this, there's two sets of pictures. 
Um, and as long as we're talking about that, and, and as you look and find, I, I want to say that the, the pictures also is something we didn't talk about, but there's a lot of preservation here. I mean, it's kind of almost like a museum uh, as far as to be able to, and they're pristine pictures too, but they're, they're, they're certainly, uh, I mean, <laughs> you usually don't find it in this type of condition, at least the way that it has been preserved. And not only that, you can see throughout the book there are, uh, let's see here, I'm, I'm looking right here, it says, your dad, uh, Andrew Burian, listed as a passenger on the SS Washington to be transferred to Ellis Island, March 14th, 1948. They show, I mean, it took a lot of work to put all that in there. It, it sure did. The, the, the picture in question, um, or the watch is the very last picture. It's right before to page 209, and it, it's okay, the last picture. Plus, it shows the uh, rebirth and survival. I see that. I see that picture. That's right. Um, the... Um, my, my, my father's family um, had the presence of mind when there were rumors started of, of mass deportations. They took um, some family photos and buried them in the ground under the cellar. Um, and my father's older brother, after the war, at the risk of his life, frankly, uh, came back and was able to dig up some of the photos that you see in this book. So these are... These are uh, Precious, precious mm-hmm. Yes, y'all, you can tell. You can, looking through them, I mean, uh, and preserve for, for many people to, I mean, uh, and I just want to say, and I just lo- use a little uh, 11 here, though, but for your bar mitzvahs, though, nice suits, <laughs> you know, for kids. <laughs> I'm looking at them, I'm saying, wow, you know, like if I only, when I was a kid, uh, nice tie, I mean, do you ever say, hey, mom and dad, thanks for dressing me up like that? Like, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I got cool parents. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you ever go through memory lane there, Ruth, and look at the fashion and say, "Wow, remember that haircut and remember that uh, that shirt or blouse or dress?" I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> Those white outfits. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you gotta love the seventies too, right? <laughs> and after all these years, uh, Andrew, after all these years, what is? How would you describe? faith, the word faith to you, your faith. What would you say, Daddy? What? What would you say about faith? Your your faith in particular, your your after all these years, I remember like in scripture, they talk about um you know Jacob leaning on his staff and thinking about his life and about his faith and um what does faith mean to you at this point when you think about your the whole scope of your life if you could? I think that it wasn't our fault. Spoke all kinds of languages and all that, and uh, I was a Jew, and uh, I was I was able to go through all the time. Whenever there was a problem or what, I was told by my father when we got separated and I was to be killed. But 
I saw every word that they spoke between them. And I lined up to run again. Daddy, why don't you just say, if you would, just to thank Michael and his audience for being interested in your book. <laughs> I did not call <laughs> that's true hey we you know we're interested in you andrew we're interested in your book a boy from bushtina a son a survivor a witness that's true we want our audience to go get the book yeah my my, my, my father's saying is he he originally wrote this book so I, that his children would have a legacy and that's the fact, it and the fact that this turned into what it I is i don't know how everybody else <laughs> it's all great well, we sum up, and it sure is, and it's a wonderful book, and we uh, want everyone to get it. A Boy from Bushtina, A Son, A Survivor, A Witness. Our special guest has been Andrew Burian, along with his family, uh, Lawrence, his son. And, of course, not, not all the family was there, but, but Lawrence and, and Ruth, uh, his wife. And just in reading uh, from the back, my child, I have three things to say to you. Keep yourself clean so you don't get sick. Be a mensch. And don't let them make an animal out of you. And remember, whoever lives through this inferno goes home and waits for others god willing we will all meet at home and uh, just also to mention surrounded by his loving family and strong jewish community the boy from bushtina is completed it's a, it's a writing in your memoir uh, andrews a powerful story of family love bravery tragedy survival faith values and rebirth andrew sums up his life my mother would be proud of me amen and, and i want to say we had um we had a gentleman by the name of Al Kasha on the program, an Oscar-winning um, composer, and uh, a, a Jewish man. He said the same thing. He said, my mother would be proud of me. That seems to be, <laughs> out of all the Oscars and Academy Awards, that, the only thing he, that was the most important thing. So uh, that's, that's a lovely sentiment uh, in saying such. And so we thank you for being a part of the Messiah Community Radio uh, Talk Show. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a real privilege and an honor. Thank you, Michael. It was a privilege and an honor. With over 90 years' experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go, which carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And by Hamilton Stands. Founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to, we use the Hamilton Stage Rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And by Orlex Acoustics has one mission to make your sound, you sound the best. Thousands of satisfied Orlex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Orlex. Enjoy widespread use 
produce among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. 